the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. We are here. It's Monday morning. We are 12 days away from week zero, Florida and Miami, and just a few more from uh, the unfurling of the true week one opening kickoff to the college football season. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. Barton, um, we we had one of those like great sort of weekends where – the you know you've got a lot of weekend practices you're getting in some of your first scrimmages we've got some bad news on the injury front for several major programs that we're going to get to by the end of this we've also getting some good nuggets you have emerged from just a full research deep dive i mean you did uh you you probably tapped into that ivy league education and and damn near pulled an all-nighter to get your notes ready for today's show i'm so impressed yeah it was it was quite the throwback uh evening uh my wife woke up at midnight couldn't find me walked out and saw i was still just like tap tapping away at the keyboard <laughs> and she was like kind of weirded out and went back to bed but it was yeah it was a uh, um kind of got in a zone i felt like all these coaches and players are in the camp grind i had no you know i had no excuse but to to dive in on the camp uh, grind myself. Uh, and so I just, I tried to, I tried to just scour primarily the 24 seven sports network. Um, and, and, and where, where it was out there, other newspapers or, uh, team coverage, uh, and just sort of get a feel for as many schools as I could, uh, in, in camp and, and sort of, especially coming off the spring, you know, uh, weekend scrimmages and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I, I wanted to make sure I had a sort of a sense on where teams were at, and uh, I feel like I got a little better. Do you want to? Um, do you want to st- just? We can start off. Why don't we just give it a little camp buzz jingle? But I mean, really, this is this is buzzing from all over the place. It's it's really a camp buzz episode. This is yeah. This is kind of a camp camp buzz overview. Okay, yeah. let's uh, let's we'll start it off with the jingle just uh, for for uh, all the day ones out there. I love uh I I love the cover three, um, you know, everything associated with it. But that was a really hard hitting uh intro song we used to be holding down. Yeah, man, you were uh, that was in the early days of cover three. You know, when you were young and creative and, you know, now, now, you know, the jingles, we got to find some new jingles. Well, hey, they'll come. 
They'll come yeah. naturally. You know, um, we've, we've got lock fight sounders. I mean, once we get into the locks battles, you know, we've, uh, you know, we'll break out Queen Latifah. We'll have stuff for them. Uh, before we get into the true, I don't know if this qualifies as camp buzz, but as we are getting ready for this, um, this pod, just right before we, we kicked off here, I, I come to find out that Chip, you have not been following the Mike Loxley, Josh Gaddis beef. Which okay, let this this is what I know. I know that they were both on the Alabama staff last year, and I know that they both chose to uh, take their talents elsewhere. Mike Loxley was probably an exit that Nick Saban was prepared for. Josh Gaddis was maybe not an exit that Nick Saban was prepared for, as the way that you know Jim Harbaugh kind of I wouldn't say ambushed, but he certainly swooped in and made Gaddis an offer that. Uh, he decided to take. So I, I know they've spent some time together in the same proximity and, you know, they're both now in the, uh, in the big 10 East together. So, uh, so in fo- fill me in on, uh, on the beef. This is good, man. This is good stuff. All right. This so, is spicy beef. This is this a is spicy, spicy beef sandwich. All right. So the, the backstory is you, you hit on it partially, but also keep in mind that he was, Gaddis was, uh, he had basically accepted, like there, there was reports that he was going to be the next offensive coordinator in Maryland. Like the, but the, the, it appears that he had sort of verbally accepted that, that job. And, but, you know, going to Maryland, Loxley is still probably going to call the plays uh, between the time that he accepted and signed or showed up or whatever. Harbaugh swoops in, makes him the offer says you got you got full control of the offense you're calling the plays let's do it no interview necessary and so not you know that's hard easy to understand that he, he he jumps on that and accepts it all right so that's the setting all right loxley was asked in camp about if there was a moment at alabama when gaddis really impressed him and he says the quote was I was impressed with all of our assistance before listing the the Crimson Tide's entire offensive staff. (laughs) (laughs) And then he said, I never thought that Josh was going with me. He was a guy that I was considering. I was happy he was given the opportunity that he was given at Michigan. So like double, double jab. Like, you know, he was one of the guys on the staff that was good and be I never even offered him the, the dang job, right? right. So, like, th- there's there's the initial punch, okay? Then fast forward a couple of days, um, and here's the Gaddis here's the Gaddis quotes. I when asked about, I guess it was a general, you know, what do you think about what Mike Loxley said? Maybe he said, "I have tremendous amount of respect for Mike Loxley. He called every play. There are never any comments about that." I'm 100% confident I can, too, call plays, too. Uh, Mike Loxley can say I watched him call every play, but ask him where the game plans usually came from. So I'm fine with that. He did call every play. And I've got a notebook upstairs with all the game plans written down in them, but I've got tremendous respect for him, obviously. Uh, Then he goes on. One of the things that's important when you talk about play calling in games, your call sheet is one Monday through Friday. 
What the players called Saturday, what the plays are called Saturday is about putting your kids in a position to be successful. There have been coordinators and been coordinators for 20 years that aren't successful. It's because they're not putting their kids in a position to be successful. You win the game Monday through Friday. That's something I took tremendous amount of pride in over the years, making sure I'm a big part of the game plan across the places I've been. Also, just because I haven't called plays before, I've recommended a lot of plays during the games. That's what it comes down to. All right. There's the there's the clap back. Now, most recently, this was maybe Friday, Saturday, I think maybe Friday. Here's the last the last uh, bullet point we got in this in this fight. Uh, and Loxley, this is this is Mike Loxley again. Okay, he says I don't care to comment on it, but I am because I'd like to put this to bed. Here's what I say: I've been a first time play caller before, back in 2005. In Illinois, I was the first time I had a chance to call plays, so I know the anxiety that comes along with it. Josh knows the truth. That's really important to understand. I also know there's a difference between suggestions and decisions. He'll have an opportunity to make decisions now. He's got a job to do. I've got a job to do here. I want to talk about the coordinator, uh, my coordinator, the guys I have in my program, which I feel really good about. I'm sure... That, that notebook he has upstairs has a lot of suggestions in them. Hopefully he utilizes them in the right way and makes good decisions like I did for Alabama. He rooked him. <laughs> he, he, he said, step up, young blood. I've been doing this since 2005. And, I mean, he patted like, him on the head. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Like, tapped him on the butt and said, head on. I mean, there's a lot. That, that's some good beef right there, huh? That is that is well seasoned beef. Uh, he's he sits there. I love the suggestions, decisions, and the fact that he came back to suggestions and decisions. Uh, yeah, like they're parsing each other's quotes yeah. like regularly. Like you can tell, like they're <laughs> not just oh he said something. Well, here's what I think. They're like digging in and reading between the lines. And I mean, there's some there's some serious serious. Uh, th- all of a sudden, like add another cover three, like low key cover three game of the week to our slate when uh, Maryland plays Michigan. Dude, it is like that. That is so much, uh, that is so much fun because I, I am re I'm hearing those quotes and I do not think that either coach is doing a good job of compartmentalizing and blocking out the clutter. <laughs> like they are occupying space in each other's minds that really does need to be devoted to fall camp right now, but they can't help it because the beef is too spicy. I'll tell you this, man. That I, I, for better or worse about Gaddis, he will uh, like he'll get out on Twitter, and he's already had like one beef this off season. The the new Penn State receivers coach, what is um, you know sometimes these coaches will tweet out video and like uh, coaching points and stuff from practice or something. And the new Penn State receivers coach tweeted out a video and some practice points, and it was sort of the some of the same terminology that Gaddis uses apparently and so Gaddis on Twitter called him out and was like you know basically you're stealing my stuff and <laughs> I guess they got on the phone uh, behind the scenes and come to find out that they were both sort of mentored by the same uh, you know coordinator and John Shoup and so uh, they he you know Gaddis sort of tweeted out that we good but Gaddis isn't scared to get out there and just sort of He's got a, he has got a little edge. He's got a little edge to him. He's got a little like um, you know, chip on his shoulder. So yeah, I don't know whether I don't know whether Michigan fans think that's a good thing, a bad thing, indifferent, but uh 
this is going to be entertaining at least. So do you, another uh, wrinkle to this that I think should be noted, we are getting coaches who have been like famously muzzled uh, That's under, true. In, under the Nick Saban reign. That's true. Like they, they have been silenced uh, as, you know, all Alabama assistant coaches are. Uh, you know, you only get you only get Nick. Like I think you get maybe like one crack at him real early, and then in the postseason, the college football playoff has a bunch of mandated appearances where the coordinators get out there. But for the most part, Alabama assistants are silenced, and so now they've both got all this. It's like woo. I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to you know talk to the media this much to, around a fall camp. This is fun. This is real fun. Yeah. And it is it is interesting to me. This is like, you know, say what you will about Gaddis's comment, but it appears that Loxley had the took the first shot here, and so uh, you know, I guess he got a little, you know, feathers in a in a ruffle because I guess Gaddis didn't go with him to Maryland, um, and yeah, I mean, but that's that's a great that's a great <laughs> point is. You know, unleash these guys. It's so funny to find out. You, you sort of assume these guys are just these worker bees whenever they're with Saban. And then pretty regularly, like, they get out from under him and you're like, well, how did that How did that personality even survive in that office? With, you know, whether it's Kiffin or, um, I mean, there's, I feel like there's been a bunch of guys coming through there that it, that are these big personalities that they just sort of, under Saban, they're just, you never hear from them. Well, we never hear from them. It's clear yeah. that there must have been some discussions <laughs> Monday through Friday as they were trying to win the game and uh, and make some suggestions and decisions along the way. Uh, all right. Well, do you, how about this? As as we sort of lean this into some camp buzz, do you think that Mike Loxley being a little bit uh, Mike Loxley may, maybe being a little bit on edge? has to do with uh, losing the super talented Deshaun Jones to an ACL injury. Yeah, there's uh, there's been some there's been some injuries around the country and uh, that's one of them that's pretty pretty important. Um, I mean there's like right now just the the sort of spring scrimmage buzz like Javon Leak and Anthony McFarland at running back are just like absolutely dudes. But your boy Josh Jackson still hasn't won the quarterback job. Mm. Their best receiver was potentially Deshaun Jones, and he's out for the season. Um, there's just not, there's, there seems to be uh, some some reluctance to get excited about anything else uh, outside of the running back core. So uh, you know, I don't know. This could be this, could, this, is, this is a little worrisome. For what's going on at Maryland right now? Well, tell me what you. I think Deshaun Jones is one of those players where um, he, he's a sophomore, right? Flashed last year as a freshman, just sort of like freak, yeah. can do everything type player. And Maryland is not going to have a, a whole, you know, a handful or two handfuls of players that could go, you know, pretty much anywhere else in the Big Ten and be out there as as a starter. And I viewed uh, his athleticism and his ability, his game-breaking ability, to make Deshaun Jones one of those handfuls of players on Maryland's roster. Who, if he showed up almost anywhere else in the Big Ten, he'd be stepping right in. Like you, he is top-tier Big Ten, uh, you know, Big Ten type talent. 
and and certainly with that ability uh, to be able to have that kind of impact. And so that's why it felt like a big loss because Maryland just doesn't have a lot of players that are on Deshaun Jones' level. No, I mean, they're going to need playmakers anywhere they can get them. And especially, I mean, that's just such a such a brutal division right now. Um, and, 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 and not only that, but it's a, it's a division that's, that's really, it's not just like in the, the West, you could argue is like a really good division, like well coached, you know, that, that it's, it's trending up, but the East is, um, is really talented. Like all the teams are really talented. Yeah. You got to compete with Penn state and Ohio state and Michigan. Um, who are these like, and, and even Michigan state, like Michigan state would be one of the more talented teams in the, in the West. Um, and, and so you got to have some horses, you got to have some dudes to, to go and make some plays against these teams. So, uh, so yeah, that's a little bit, a little bit concerning for, for Maryland. Well, let's, let's keep it there in the big 10 and let's, let's head on over to, uh, the big 10 West. Um, what's, what, what are, where, where's your head at right now when it comes to Jeff Brom and this Purdue team? Okay. So yeah, good. I'm glad you asked. I'm, I'm losing. I'm, I, I'm a little worried right now. Mm. on Purdue. Uh, I'm, I mean this, the scrimmage, there wasn't really positive reviews coming out of the scrimmage. Uh, a lot of, I mean, sounds like the defense won the scrimmage. And as a guy that played defense in college for an offensive minded coach, anytime the defense has a better practice than the offense, that means that the team had a bad practice. Like mm. the offense, like if the offense had killed the defense, you know, then you come away and uh, man, you guys are really working hard. You know, take the night off. Y'all killed it. It's like, well, we got our ass kicked, but you're an offensive coach, so you're gonna, you know, that's a, that's kind of the way it sounded to me. Is like defense kind of kicked the offense's ass a little bit, and so Jeff Brown wasn't happy with it, and. That's, I guess that's a positive in terms of the development on the defense side of the ball, but I don't know, man. I'm a little worried if Purdue's got to lean on their defense this year. Purdue is not going to be able to win seven, eight games if they're leaning on their defense. It's uh, That is a, a group that has not... I, I've not found Purdue's defense to be extremely elite in any by by any measures, right? Like it's not it's not a group that you've circled and be like, watch out, man! This Purdue defense is going to lead the Boilermakers right to the top of the Big Ten West standings. Like the the book and the conversation is so much to do with that same offense that Jeff Brom, you know, led to to high a, a lot of success at Western Kentucky. It's the same offense that has you know put Purdue. Uh, in a in a great spot it's highlighted the the playmaking ability of Rondale Moore and others like that's the the uneasiness feeling I will say I'm, I'm willing to dismiss but I feel like we should definitely put a little tracker on Purdue like we just need to sort of keep our eye on that because the entire Big Ten West it it is a Thunderdome elimination challenge where I'm just I'm I'm gonna wait to see who starts taking steps back first because as we sit right now, I'm you know we're still looking at six teams that could win the division. Yeah, yeah, and and I think like Elijah Sindelar is supposed to be the starter, and I mean he's he's he didn't you know he lost, lost out that job to David Blau last year. Um, is I mean like Rondell Moore, everyone in the country is preparing for Rondell Moore, um, and is. 
is there going to be enough on the offensive line? Is there going to be enough around Rondale? I mean, I, I will say the apparently the Milton Wright kid, a true freshman, is balling out at receiver. But there's just a lot of guys that need to like step up on that side of the ball. Um, and and you know, defensively, they. I mean, there's encouraging signs, but like to me, this is just this is starting to trend towards a year where Purdue. You know, gets their defense better. Offense takes a big step back. You know, gear. You know, twenty twenty is sort of the next bet on Purdue season to me. What about? Uh, do you feel yourself getting more confident in Iowa? So I mean, uh, I think the the AJ Epinesa buzz continues to grow. Like he first, like if you're a left tackle or whatever, right tackle. I don't know in in the big 10 and big 10 East, like you're going to get AJ up or I guess not necessarily the big 10 East, but the big 10, just the big 10 in general might have three top 10 defensive ends. Chase, at least, at least three first rounders. All right. Chase young, AJ Epinesa and who, uh, Utah gross Matos at Penn state. Um, and then, I mean, that's, that's not like, those are the three that jump jump to mind, but like Aiden Hutchinson of Michigan is going to be a stud. Um, you know, there may be someone else in there I'm, I'm missing, but I feel like those three, uh, Epinesa, Chase Young, and Utah Gross Matos are first round guys. And so, and uh, Epinesa is just like the buzz is all about, you know, you know, the, the best case scenario, like all about what you would hope. Um, so he's been legit. Uh, Oliver Martin, you know, we'll see if he's eligible to transfer from Michigan, who was. Uh, a really highly regarded recruit who would be, I think, a really good weapon for that offense if he can get eligible as a transfer, get, get his waiver approved. He made a few plays. So, uh, yeah, I, fi- I, do, I, I do find myself um, bullish on Iowa a little bit, though I, I'm also checking myself a little in terms of we always assume offensive line is uh, – goes, you know, kind of goes without saying that Iowa's really good on that front. But like they weren't that efficient running the football last year. Sure. And the 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 interior of that unit is a little bit, you know, needs needs some some proven. Um, so I that that's sort of the one question I have is like, can their offensive line get to a dominant place? Um, but there's there, there you know I don't know. Like I would have I have more confidence in Iowa than say Wisconsin right now. Right. And so like that's the as as we're sliding around these. Uh, these little like stocks or magnets or, you know, you were kind of moving them up, moving them down, trying to figure out who's going to have the bigger pieces of the success pie in that division. Like the you know, Wisconsin, we've got those kind of assumptions where it's like, oh yeah, no, they're always going to have, you know, big old offensive linemen that are ready to go and ready to be dominant and uh, ready to be really impactful. And uh, oh yeah, Jonathan Taylor's still there. But like, what if, what if anything happens to Jonathan Taylor? Does is 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 the entire offensive game plan, or is like most of the Wisconsin success plan for 2019 just assuming that you're going to be able to go back, uh, go back and, and run those same three plays over and over again, just like you were playing Madden or something? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, there's like who's what's the running back room look like? Yeah, you got maybe the best running back in the country, but what about the room? I mean is how much like he's going to give this guy the ball 35 times a game like I guess no I guess Wisconsin's done that before and been okay but um I think the 
they're just, uh, you know, I just, I'm looking for how Wisconsin is going to spread this thing out between, you know, distributing to their playmakers and who's going to do it. I mean, Jack Cohn, I guess, is is trending as the starting quarterback over the true freshman Graham Mertz, which is okay. I mean, Graham Mertz, I kind of would have been a little bit surprised if Graham Mertz was just like knocking it out the box because he was a four star, but he wasn't like a five star. He wasn't top 100 guy to me. So, okay, Jack Cohn's looking like the starter, but Wisconsin is, that's another one where suddenly I'm like, you know, I kind of talked myself into them initially. But but I'm I'm at this point I'm backing off a little bit and getting back into like let's make sure there's a reason to trust Paul Chris <laughs> because when you really look at what he's done from a record standpoint like there was the one year two years ago beyond that like what really has Paul Chris done as a head coach that makes you feel like you can just sort of bank on him to give you ten wins you know, contend for 10 wins every year. If anything, like that, that is the, the outlier at this point for him. Cause he's all right. He's mostly six and six, seven and five, seven and six kind of range in his Pittsburgh time. Right. That's right. And, and it was weird because he, the storyline as it was being sold was yeah, we know what the record is, but uh, not only is it him returning back to where he, you know he played quarterback and was the offensive coordinator and all this like the you were leaning on the Wisconsin thing, but it was also being sold uh, like yeah they didn't have much success, but his players really loved him. And that was like <laughs> in like in substitution for uh you know like yeah yeah I, I know that they just you know went to a couple of compass bowls but man you you listen to those pit players talk about them like that's just that's just a really good hire and like that's awesome that you can create that kind of uh loving and like positive atmosphere but it's uh it's it is going to leave out what you're looking for, which is hard evidence that suggests you are a top tier power five head coach. Yeah. I, I don't want to undersell him and what he's done at Wisconsin. I mean, he's had three 10 plus win seasons uh, to one eight and five year. And so, uh, and then he had, you know, six, seven, six win seasons at Pitt. But I think part of the, part of what you have to, um, add to the to the math here is the, the the rising of the tide in the Big Ten West in general. Like this schedule is going to be a, a much more of a grind. Probably probably the the biggest grind Wisconsin's had. Without going back and like digging into the schedules, like I would be surprised if Wisconsin in the last four years since Paul Chris has been there will have faced a schedule like the one they will face this year. Given who they're playing in the East, and given what the the West is relative to what it's been, so uh, I just I'm sort of just making I, like as I started to really take off on the like Wisconsin is going to be this an, another anonymous ten win season train. I'm uh, I'm I'm checking myself a little bit, making sure I'm I'm, I'm crossing my T's here. Coming up on the other side, getting into the latest buzz from around the ACC, the SEC, and more next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, 
chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So um, let's let's go ahead and let the... The rings thing, the before as as as, yeah. we, as as we get ready to unpack both the ACC and the SEC, let let's go with some uh, some Kelly Bryant. Um, let's 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 look into this because how passionate are you on this subject, Chip? You got some you got some venom coming on this, or where are you at, man? As a human being, Chip Patterson does not care, <laughs> not one bit. Like as uh, somebody who is in the in the business of opinions and analysis and weighing in on it uh i will i will say that it disappointed me how quickly this issue or non-issue became the latest um it's like it became the latest train to outrageville and anybody who wanted who either has their own agenda or enjoys fighting or yelling it's like this was the latest thing to jump on because, you know, we we had it took a couple days before Kelly Bryant even like anybody asked Kelly. So set set the stage just to make sure anyone that hasn't hasn't been on uh, sports, uh, college football media, Twitter um, know, knows what's going on here. Dabo Sweeney, uh, it, it is revealed that, you know, Dabo Sweeney did not uh, or Clemson did not send Kelly Bryant a national championship ring. You know, everybody got their their championship rings from the 15-0 season, winning the college football playoff and the national championship, and they did not send one to Kelly Bryant. When asked about this at Clemson by, you know, local media, Dabba pretty, you know, bluntly said, listen, I, I love Kelly, but we won 11 games without him being here. If you, if you want a ring, you got to be on the team. And... That really, I mean, I mean, that got the morning debate shows going. That got, uh, that got two two camps up in arms. Number one, there is a camp, and it is growing, that is just trying to chip away at Dabo. They they believe bomb camp. They really believe that like Dabo is being held up in a shinier light than what he quote unquote deserves. I don't agree with this take. I think he's I think he's judged pretty fairly and has been uh has been for a while. I believe if you if you still are buying into the aw shucks dabo, then you're just you haven't been watching that long because he's proven that he's a little bit of a cold blooded killer uh here in the last couple of years in my opinion. But um that to the side, the anti dabo crowd, they were fired up about this. The second is uh the crowd that is always looking to uh, fight on behalf, 
whether they are asked to or not, of student athletes <laughs> and uh, yeah. the way that things are weighted in college athletics, particularly college football, where the players are not being compensated and uh, the coaches and the athletic directors and everyone else are c- very well compensated. So those two camps teamed up, jumped on the train to Outrageville, and no one asked Kelly whether or not he even wanted a ring, and we were just off with like three days of screaming. <laughs> Was that a good summation of what happened? That was, yeah, that was well done. I, and that was a great, I think it's a great call, uh, you know, highlighting the, like, team student athletes who just just can't resist, <laughs> t- you know, talking about how, how manipulated and uh, um, unfortunate these poor student athletes are for, you know, in this big college football machine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the bottom line here is if Dabo gave Kelly Bryant a ring because, hey, Kelly Bryant is the reason they beat Texas A&M and Kelly Bryant, without Kelly Bryant, you know, they, who knows what the team looks like, but butterfly flaps his wing in China, then maybe they don't win a college football national championship uh, in, in America. Uh, but ultimately, like he quit the team. Yeah, and it's and if and he did quit the team, like I'm not. It's okay that he quit the team. Good. I'm glad he quit the team. He's we're gonna see another year, of Kelly Bryant. But I'm not by saying he quit the team. I'm not dogging Kelly Bryant. Um, and neither is Dabo. And so if you wanted to give him a ring, that's cool. If you didn't want to give him a ring, that's cool too. They got to draw the line somewhere. I mean. You're gonna give the the ring to to the the long snapper that transfers week four too, because he gave you some good reps and scout team this week. Uh, so, yeah, man, like we're talking about it, and it's been good talk fodder for everybody. But it definitely chalks up for me as a uh, who wants to get mad today. Uh, let's you know, let's cape up for the poor kid who doesn't actually care, anyways. I mean, it, it is. It probably starts with absolutely no malice, right? Like it probably starts with, okay, it's time to order rings. Um, let's, you know, what? Let's get our numbers together, and they probably send over the travel sheet from the college football playoff. You know, like whatever the Excel database is that has all the players and everybody that was in the band and all the support staff, like whatever they had that was, you know, making the trip to Dallas and then making the trip to San Jose. That's a very easy Excel spreadsheet to pull up and be like, all right, cool. We'll get rings to these people. Players, travel, all these staff, like it's good. Like I, I don't think that the conversation with Jostens or whoever the ring company is <laughs> started off with, okay, and one last thing, do not. And I mean do <laughs> not send right. a ring to Kelly Bryant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was yeah. it just wasn't that malicious. No. No, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, Dabo, and what happened was it got on Twitter and people saw the quote, he he quit the team, so he's not getting a ring, and people thought it was some shot across the bow, like, you hearing me over there in Columbia, Missouri? You you quit the team, man, and it's like, (laughs) no, no, man, he just said, like, he he did quit the team, quit the team. Yeah, and again, a couple days later, Kelly Bryant actually got the comment. He was like, no, I'm good. 
Kelly Kelly Bryant, A, has a national championship ring, was a backup quarterback on uh, the team that won it with Deshaun. Kelly Bryant has an ACC championship ring. Kelly Bryant was the MVP of the ACC championship game. Has a nice little MVP trophy. He's got, he's, and that's, again, Kelly, I will will take it straight from Kelly Bryant's mouth. Uh, He's good. All right, what about Clemson? Uh, what's what's the buzz that's coming out from our from our friends there in the upstate? Uh, so Joseph Ngata is a is a dude, a receiver. Like, get ready for another six four, six five. I think he, I don't know. He maybe six three and a half, but he's a beast. He was in the All American Bowl last year. I saw him up close and was like looks the part. But he's one of these guys who it's like as good as they've done at receiver. If if a true freshman is jumping out and getting buzzed this early, man, he's going to be the truth. So get ready for the next big, you know, avatar catching footballs like 50 yards down the field, because um, uh, he's going to get. Sounds like he's going to get on the field this year. Uh, and running back Mikey Dukes has been playing really well. It sounds like another true freshman kind of add some depth behind Travis Etienne with. Uh, 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 what's his name? The transfer to to South Carolina. Um, Tavian Feaster. Tavian Feaster out. You know they'll need some depth there. Mikey Dukes might be able to provide that. But uh, you know, aside from that, I think Clemson is is kind of sta- status quo. Um, yeah, I think on the other side of the the conference, man, I'm really fascinated with this Miami deal. This quarterback race. Well, I mean, you are the you know Jaron Williams investor. I did, yeah, and I don't. I mean, just that I I did invest in Jaron Williams. Um, and but it doesn't seem like anyone has won this, and that's not good. Talking about players that are buzzing. Hey, uh, quick note here. Um. Yeah, this is this is as we are editing the podcast right now. Uh, a press release from Miami announcing that Jaron Williams, the redshirt freshman, has beaten out redshirt sophomores Nikosi Perry and Tate Martell. So as uh, as as you hear this discussion unfold, uh, do note that this decision has been made. And uh, and as we said, Jaron Williams, uh, the safe pick of the trio clearly that's where Miami's going to start the year so a uh, quick note on that and I guess for the Hurricanes this is good news because now you've got something settled when it was a giant question mark with less than two weeks to play so uh, enjoy the rest of the show Talking about players that, are buzzing. that is not good to into a lot of the college football public whether they're you know just casual fans uh, I mean I think the Miami fans are obviously like very aware but I think the outside sort of looking at this as either Tathan Martell or uh, or Nikosi Perry and Jaron Williams is the mystery team. And that's why I'm actually kind of hoping that he wins it so that when the year starts on August 24th, there's this like wide collection of the college football public that's like, Jaron Williams, who saw this coming? <laughs> yeah, like I, he... On the surface, he's he's almost the safer play to me. It, it, if I were to read, to read between the lines, I mean, Tate Martell is athletic, and and is has some moxie to him. But and he's the biggest, you know, he's the highest regarded recruit from a profile standpoint. But uh, but also he's going to hold on to the ball too long and take like four sacks a game. Yeah, like there's some train wreck in there. You can just sniff. <laughs> right. From, yes. You know, like you can sniff it from from South Beach, 
And I think Nikosi Perry, I mean, there's been, it seems like there's been sort of some off-field stuff, maybe some leadership stuff. How quickly is he grasping things? You know, he's probably, he probably is most talented. Um, and then Jaron is sort of this middle middle ground where he is talented, but is he the most talented? Maybe not. He is accurate, but is he the most accurate? Depends on the day. He is, uh, a, there's a little less personality wise. He's a little more between the lines, I, I would imagine. So I, I just, I don't know, I, but I have no, I have no reason to think he's going to win it or any, I guess, seriously, like at this point for Miami to not have one of those guys start to emerge, it feels like it's just going to be another year of bad quarterback play. I agree. And again, let's let us point out that the the clock is ticking. We're 12 days away from the Miami Hurricanes starting their 2019 campaign. Uh, yeah, they're a week ahead of everybody else. Yeah, we don't and we don't have uh, a leader there. That's uh, that's not going to be fun for Miami fans who have grown very, very tired of a very good defense trying to hold things together uh, for a Hurricanes team that has just been woeful and at times inept on offense. Uh, on the defensive side, though, I mean, it, it looks like they're going to be nasty again. Like I've, I've, I've heard, seen, or not, I, I've not felt like there's any reason to think that um, we should take the best of what we've seen from 2017 and 2018 Miami on the defensive side and expect a continuation of that. Yeah. And even on offense, there's, there's playmakers there. Like even like KJ Osborne, the Buffalo transfer, it seems like every time I read a Miami update, he's that dude's had a touchdown or balled out in some regard. Uh, the, the Virginia tech transfer Trayvon Hill had, I think two sacks on Saturday. Um, and there's scrimmage. So Trayvon Hill is an NFL talent. Absolutely. For sure. And yeah. yeah, like that linebacking crew is just deep. Nah, it is. It, they, they can win the coastal with that defense. They can't win the coastal with three quarterbacks who are, are all trying to be the least worst option. Right. Yeah. Like if the coastal is a, if the coastal is a division that has somebody emerge as an 11 and one, even maybe a 10 and two type of season as the, as the winner of the division, I feel like that's, that's not going to be Miami. But if it's if the winner of the division is nine and three, uh, and in this sort of murky muck of a division where everyone kind of beats each other up a little bit, then I could see that being Miami based on that defense. Uh, let's let's jump on over to the SEC uh, to the Georgia Bulldogs, where we've the. The, the wide receiver position is a massive question. Do you feel like the Bulldogs in uh, James Coley's offense, do you think they're starting to find uh, a little bit of rhythm? Do we know what the, the rest of the offense around Jake Fromm is going to look like? Well, Chip, have you spent much time on Twitter this weekend? This weekend, no. Okay. Uh, so you have missed the viral highlight of George Pickens, the true freshman that they flipped from Auburn on signing day. Uh, making an insane one-handed, like, contested, I don't even know how to describe sort of the acrobatic, the, the acrobatics involved in this catch. Um, and it, everyone is sort of, I think rightfully so, like this was a, uh, I think he was a composite five-star guy, rightfully so, looking at it being like, hey, y- y- y'all still think Georgia is going to be struggling a receiver this year? Right. Like, there is um, 
I mean, between George Pickens and Dominic Blaylock, again, I don't know how quickly Dominic Blaylock can get ready. I don't know how quickly George Pickens can get ready. But those are, tr- those are two top 50 players in the country in the 2019 recruiting class. Dominic Blaylock is this really polished, strong, thick kid. Like, both these guys are very physically advanced. Um, I, 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 am, I am inclined not to count Georgia out. or like when, when I, I think I've used it as a bullet point. In talking about Georgia, hey, uh, you know, uh, they're going to be good, but are they going to, you know, win a national title? I don't know. Their receiving core doesn't have a lot returning, but I'm not. I, it's I, not just. We can put that away. We can. Yeah, we, yeah, I think we, we, can. we, I think I just, we really can. Absolutely. I, you know, that it's, hey, you know, maybe the, who knows whether it'll be the, where it's going to rack, stack up in the national or SEC pecking order, but like they're going to be all right at receiver. We, and, we we do we get hung up on something like that where it's it it ignores the fact that there is a full wide receiver room and because it's the University of Georgia guess what these guys are all pretty good and the the steps that it would take from uh, someone to be a relative unknown to the analysts and the experts on the outside to be in the number one go-to target or, you know, one of the, this, this incredibly productive receiving core, it's not that much. And, and also think about this. I've talked about Georgia as this is like, as Alabama becomes new Alabama, Georgia is becoming old Alabama. And in the old Alabama, when the, whatever, what are the years, what it would be like 2007 through like 2014 or whatever. And they're always playing for national titles. How many times did Alabama, did we go into a season and be like, I don't know, man, that Alabama receiving core is really going to hold them back. None. They always had like one guy. They had right. one go-to guy and a bunch of, a bunch of other guys that were just okay. And that's not the, that's not the recipe. That's not how, if this was, if this was Art Bryles as the head coach of Georgia and the receivers and they had no receivers, then yeah, maybe we can be concerned about it a little bit. But the, I mean, um, Riley Ridley went an entire career without having an 100 yard receiving game and was just fine as an outside threat. I mean, Javon Wims was their outside threat. And, you know, what he had like 400 yards receiving or something a couple years ago. Like, it's just, it's okay. We'll be a receiver. Let's put that to rest. I think we're good there. I'm not willing to put to rest uh, that if if you are suggesting that Georgia is not one of the or will not finish. How about that? Georgia absolutely deserves to be, in my opinion, a top five team heading into the year. Everything that they've accomplished, what the roster is, the way that things are make, made up, uh, top five team. Yes, absolutely. I'm in. You want to put them in your preseason playoff picks? I'm in. That's cool. I don't have a good argument against it. If you want to be making uh, a bet that Georgia will not finish in the top five, I would look at the changeover on coordinator for coordinators on both sides, if for only to point out that sometimes there can be a little bit of an adjustment. And when they've been winning at such a high level, those those minor changes, if there is any ripple, if there is any impact from that, that could, with it again, very, very small margin for error when it comes to Georgia against Florida, Georgia against Auburn, Georgia against Alabama, that maybe some of those changes, if the the lines of communication, if if the fit hasn't really settled, that changing over the coordinators concerns me way more than wide receivers. 
I 100% agree with that. And that might that that might be put to rest pretty quickly too. They might just come out the gates and look great, but I mean, especially as you can as you start to hear the buzz out of Knoxville that Jim Cheney is this you know mad scientist and football genius, uh, and you start to sort of realize how highly respected he is, and so so then all of a sudden, you know, it's it's less of a knock on the the current coordinators and more of a acknowledgement of they just lost one of the better coordinators in college football maybe in Jim Chaney and and then you know a defensive coordinator that's got a head coaching job in the Pac-12 so that's hard to just backfill right Um, so I'll that'll be interesting but I but I think across the board that the thing that is because I heard uh, I saw an, an interview I think it was Chris Lowe maybe had a you know visited with Kirby Smart briefly and and Kirby was talking about the competition at practice. And I think that's the thing that is most if you're betting on Georgia and you then then you're betting on just man just trust it that this is they've recruited like maniacs and now all these guys are just you know it's iron sharpening iron and the competition at level in practice is elite and Kirby Smart I do like have a lot of respect and trust in what he's going to bring in terms of the tone day in, day out from a com- competition level. And that's where you're like, you know, you just look at, I mean, how can they not, how can they fail with all the talent they brought in and the way that they're going to be competing and the way they're practicing. So that, I think that's the, the, the positive outlook for Georgia. What's uh, what else stood out from across the sec as you were doing your scour? Well, I would, so uh, one, as we talk about Georgia and we talk about, so here, let me present this to you, Chip. Let me know what you think about this. If Georgia, when people talk about the SEC getting two or any conference getting two in the playoffs, the, the scenario is generally Georgia-Alabama, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how do you feel about the possibility of Alabama-LSU being the two from uh the, the the SEC. I'd be fine with that. Alabama beats LSU, beats Georgia. LSU goes eleven and one with one loss to Bama, and gets in. Because I I think that's not a hard scenario to envision. Well, I mean, it's hard to accomplish. It's not hard, it's hard to, to accomplish. Yes. Not hard to envision. Yeah. Right. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, we're the that mean that's an LSU schedule that also includes what you know Florida, Auburn, Texas A and M. No big in Texas. But right. yes, that, well, that, and that's the point. That that's yeah, the point, that, is they yeah. would have beaten Texas, yes. and if Texas is still really good, then because of a court, I mean, yes, like that's it's hard to get in the playoffs. But if but if they but they have a, a, a route because of that game against Texas and all the other you know, no 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 one else, no one else player schedule like us, Reese. <laughs> yeah, dude. The the ed, hey, I'm here for it. Just if only to get on conference championship Saturday. Uh, the way remember like when Alabama wasn't playing in the SEC championship game in 2017 and so Nick Saban was like all right I'm just going to go do college game day and just went up there and basically got to campaign for 2 hours for his right. 11 and 1 Alabama team to make the playoff That's right yes oh yeah. man um uh so the the other west team I think I mentioned is is Auburn one thing I think you know, it looks like Bo Nix is starting to win that job at quarterback. 
but it seems like they're both going to play because Joey Gatewood is just this, uh, you know, he's just this like freak athlete at the quarterback position. Um, and then I thought it was interesting. It sounds like Owen Popo is running with the ones at linebacker, another five-star guy. So Auburn is going to be, uh, man, I just, I hope Auburn's Oregon's ready for that game. Cause they, you know, Auburn, Auburn's going to be athletic. I'm, I mean, yeah, yeah. I that's the the things can reverse for your boy so quickly if Oregon comes out and like jumps out to a seventeen nothing first half lead. Do you feel uh do you feel better or worse about your Auburn uh your your Auburn sort of optimism knowing that Bo Nix is winning the job? Or would you rather be hearing that Joey Gatewood is winning the job? Does not really matter to me because I do think both will play no matter what. Okay, so you're just, so you're just yeah. So your your calculations sort of doesn't matter who wins the job, right? That it's that it is my my calculations are on uh, what I would consider much more reliable entities which is the defense, particularly the defensive front and Gus with some heat on his seat. Yeah. That, that you're, you're giving him like, he's speaking real confidently. He might feel like this offensive line and our, our colleague Barrett Salee does like a pretty, his big Auburn offensive talking point and his counter to my optimism has been uh, they do return all the starters on the offensive line, but the offensive line really got embarrassed at times last year. And so there's like, if Gus is confident, I would think that that means that offensive line has taken some steps into getting a little bit, uh, a little bit better, a little bit more consistent, having a little bit more cohesion and that, you know, within, with an offense that's going to be playing at tempo with an offense that's going to be dealing with a lot of option and misdirection, having that group together. I mean, when, when carry on Johnson was carrying them all, all the way to an sec West title. I think that a lot of that started with their play up front. That is probably my, how about that? My biggest X factor in the place where I am the most concerned in terms of, uh, Auburn and my big 10 win bet is not at the quarterback position. It is right in front of them at the offensive line. Yeah. But, and, and the counter that I would have to, to the Barrett point is that it still felt to me that the, like the identity of this team will be clearer and that will help this offensive line. I think the pace of play, the, the more commitment to the run game, and general and and sort of having a quarterback that can operate the way that Gus Malzahn wants to operate. I think that unlocks some things for the offensive line to where it's not they're not going to be as bad as they were last year. Um, I mean, even you know, they, they shouldn't be anyways because all those guys come back and they'll be better. But I also just think that just from an identity standpoint, I can see this offensive line being much improved based on style of play. Mm, I like it. Uh, uh I do want to touch on Tennessee too. Okay, let's t- let's let's touch on Tennessee. Before we get out of the SEC, because Emmett Gooden is hurt, out for the season. One of the most important players for Tennessee, which is which is a huge loss. But in returning, they get. But like 
I looked up and running with the ones is Aubrey Solomon right now, who's waiting a waiver uh, request, I think. But he's a he's a former five star, and then Daryl Middleton, who's like six seven three fifteen. He's like a Raekwon Davis looking guy, and now he may not be there yet. But I mean, he's like Tennessee will look different this year. They will look better physically, and. And so that's pretty impressive in a way to think about. I mean, it hurts. It's huge. They lose him at good. And that's, that's a big loss. But it is, it is say something about who's, who's stepping up in his place. And then you got a guy like Elijah Gooden, who's this six, you know, three, 350 pound, just cinder block hands guy who's a, who's a beast as a true freshman. So that was interesting. And then as good as those true freshman corners were last year, uh, Bryce Thompson and Alante Taylor, sounds like Warren Burrell might beat maybe Alante Taylor out as, oh, a, wow. as a starting corner. Like that's, that's encouraging. When you're, when you're playing good players and then recruiting better players to beat them out, that's encouraging. Same can be said, Henry Toto, who was a borderline five-star guy in the 2019 class, looks like he's going to be a starter at linebacker. So like those things, I think the, the the probably the most encouraging thing about the Tennessee deal right now is just that the the 2019 class appears to be a hit. It appears to be exactly what they needed, and uh, and so I think the the long road to progress has begun. My my little mental notepad has Alante Taylor as a a little bit of a hothead on the field. Is that right? Uh, likes likes a big hit, might draw a flag or two over a, a couple game stretch. I don't know. I don't know if I remember that. That you may be right, but I, I don't know. He he definitely had one against Alabama, and the reaction from everyone else in the Tennessee press box at least gave the indication that this wasn't the first time that oh, that, right? that Alante had tried to make a big tried to make a big splash and maybe cost his team a couple yards. Uh, yeah, well, Warren Burrell. Yeah, coming you, you mentioned that. I kind of do remember that a little bit. Um, all right. Well, you wanna you wanna save save the rest of the buzz for the rest of the week. We got yeah. a big week coming up. We got all America teams to talk about. Um, war on football. There's stuff to do. We didn't touch. We were going to touch on Alabama injuries. Josh McMillan, starting linebacker out for the season. Trey Sanders, five star running back out for the season. Well, we can dig into what that means next time. But, uh, man, you know, fortunes are already changing around the country right now. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll keep it rolling midweek and uh, get a couple more pods in to, to, to dig in. Of course. That's what you can count on here from us. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Yes, sir.